0: You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Meir, this Friday afternoon, and I'd like to welcome back to the studio, Karen Ko, our wonderful co- co-host for this week's Agenda Cafe. Karen, it's great to see you. How are you?
1: I'm great, Noreen. It's great to be here. Sorry, the mic is in front of your face. but. <laughs> For
0: for all the good reasons.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, today's Agenda Cafe is very exciting. We are talking about the intersection of technology, sex and sexuality. So it's called sex tech. And when you think about it, we use technology every day in so many ways to enhance our lives today. I mean, you think about all the apps and gadgets that you use to track your health, your sleeping habits, help you meditate uh, or help you stay on a diet. But what about technology that helps improve your sex life and helps you better understand your own sexuality? It's a growing area, but of course, nobody talks about it in the way they talk about say fintech or health tech or med tech but today we're going to have two guests who are going to talk about it they're both working in this area and we're delighted to be joined by Bryony Cole Bryony is the founder of the Future of Sex podcast and creator of Sex Tech School which is a six-week program for entrepreneurs she joins us from New York thank you Bryony for joining us Thanks, guys.
2: Very excited to be here and talk about sex tech with you all.
1: Yeah. And we're also joined by Ruben Rodriguez, who's he's the regional PR manager of Asia Pacific for WowTech. And WowTech is a a German-Canadian company which makes sex toys. So, Ruben, thank you for joining us as well.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: And uh, Ruben is here in Hong Kong. He covers a lot of Asia, so he's really going to be able to give us a picture of what's happening in Asia. So, Bryony, let me start with you. Um, You worked in technology businesses for a long time before focusing on sex tech. Can you tell us first a bit about that journey from pure tech into sex tech?
2: (laughs) Well, I just thought that sex tech sounded like the most interesting area of technology I'd ever heard about. So when I stumbled into it, I was thinking, I've got to work in this. How can I, how can I work in this field? It's so, it impacts everyone. You know, we're all sexual. We all walk around the world and having been born by people that have had sex. So I really, I felt like that transition was very natural for me. It, it also felt like it was very early days of sex tech. I hadn't really heard of many people talking about it. So my foray into this world was really around interviewing other people, much like we are now that know more about it, that are working on projects and trying to map the landscape somewhat and think about, well, what's going to come next? Knowing what I know about technology from what we use on the enterprise side, what's going to happen when it enters the bedroom and what does that look like? And that was the beginning of the Future of Sex podcast.
1: And tell us then, what exactly is sex tech? Because I think there's a lot of um, misperceptions about what it is. I mean, it's more than just vibrators and robots, right? Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people will go for the the robots call. But if we think about sex tech as really a compound of two words, sexuality and technology, then it's much more than robots. Sexuality encompassing things like education, health, um, assault reporting, human trafficking, the pleasure and the protection aspects of sexuality, and then how that intersects with all the technology that we use in our lives today, whether that's apps or websites, um, AR, VR, AI, all the sexy technology right down to simple tools, which are technology, you know, tools that allow us to do things. Um, It's such a broad industry and really um, some good examples of that are like, sex education apps, we're seeing a lot of that at the moment, or female-focused audio erotica is also a growing sex tech field, as well as the obvious, like, um, you know, robots. I actually just inter- interviewed someone today that has four dolls at home and is hoping to get a sex robot. And um, and then, yeah, right down to stuff that's around sexual health and looking at STI prevention and how how the technology can help improve medicine and our, our health of um, our sexual selves.
1: So it's a huge range of products and services, but why don't we hear about it? I mean, why is it different from other industries?
2: Yeah, I think we've got so much trouble uh, everywhere, the world over talking about sex, right? Even though we have it, we still struggle to talk about it. We're brought up in a culture, pretty much the world over, even though it varies in terms of sex education, but thinking that sex is something that isn't to be talked about and that is something that is to be done behind closed doors and not communicated about at all. So when you try and, you know, bust the doors wide open and start talking about that, even in a business context, it is really difficult because we, we haven't been taught the tools as, as kids to be able to talk about it in a way that talk about relationships or all the things that make sex great. We sort of, yeah, education really needs to catch up and I think that's the real culprit is we've got shocking sex education.
0: Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head earlier in your intro, uh, Brani, and and that is our parents had sex. That's why we're here and, you know, their parents had right. sex, you know. And um, you mentioned just now also about sex education. Is it cultural? I mean, it, are things a bit better in the West? I mean, we often talk about things, you know, there's really zero sex education here in Hong Kong. Um, I think we interviewed a few guests in the past where um, they talked about their period. It was a period company who went there to sort of sell pads that was their sex education. It's quite shocking. Right. Um, are yeah. things a bit better um, in other places, do you do you think?
2: I think everyone I speak to says they had a pretty average sex education. I think it's still stuck. It, of course, there are cultural nuances into how that's explained, but still there's a lot of sort of, you know, we we show kids how to put a condom on a banana or get them to watch a documentary of animals mating as if that would explain sexual relationships and health and everything there is to know about fantasies and, and things that um, impact our sexual expression. So I think pretty much the world over we're behind. Um, I think Europe and the Nordics stand out as like really the best in the world, but even so then, you know, we're still struggling to talk about this in in society, which leads to just all these challenges around not only business but, you know, how we how we respect one another and how we treat each other.
0: Yeah, well, let's also bring in Ruben into this discussion. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this afternoon, Ruben, and thank you very much for waiting very patiently. And Ruben is the regional PR manager of A- for APAC for WowTech. Uh, tell us about WowTech.
3: Yeah, so uh, WowTech is one of the world leaders in what we nowadays call the pleasure wellness industry. So uh, this is sort of the evolution of the very traditional sex toy industry. Uh, th- this industry is now heading towards uh, a moment of considering wellness and, uh, well, pleasure as, uh, as another side of wellness. And uh, that's uh, increasingly how we market and elaborate and also like uh, craft our sex toys, thinking how they can add a uh, benefit, a pleasure benefit to the lives of uh, of people all over the world. So it's a very, very exciting uh, moment for us.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about these sex toys. When I think of sex toys, I think of sort of a, a veiny, dildo looking type you know that's maybe that's very old-fashioned you know maybe let's talk about the evolution what do sex toys look like these days and how how has it sort of evolved in 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 the years
3: sure well uh sex toys nowadays uh increasingly say veiny you
1: did (laughs) it's only because she has one in her office drawer
3: You still have some sex toys that are a little bit veiny around, uh, but increasingly those are the minority. Uh, Increasingly, sex toys nowadays look like uh, like nothing in particular really some of them have an egg shape some of them have like a like a, a computer mouse shape some of them look like a bluetooth speaker some of them look like any other piece of technology really that you may have around the house because uh, at the end of the day that's what in, in in one way what they actually are they're a piece of technology they have uh bluetooth connectors they have uh, vibrations inside they uh, have a plastic cover on the outside right so they in in many ways they're not so different to any other consumer technology product that we might have at home like our computers like our tvs like everything else so increasingly they're looking like a laptop accessory uh, that, you may, that you may own and that has a function, which is to provide pleasure to your body, either either for yourself or uh, in connection with your partner, um, or increasingly also through the virtual world, thanks to the apps that nowadays can also connect to sex toys. So yeah, uh, I think that, the, that evolution has happened, um, yeah, quite, quite swiftly over the last few years and it's uh, increasing and accelerating. Mm-hmm.
1: What what about um in the past stigma about owning a sex toy or going to buy a sex toy because before you could only buy a sex toy in a sex shop people were embarrassed to go in there there was a feeling of oh you sh- you're only in here because you're a deviant or you know something like that how how has that changed and um how are sex toys becoming more of a mainstream product
3: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think that there's different aspects to that question. It's a very, very interesting question. Um, I think that first of all, um, the sex toy shops have changed a lot as well. Uh, Nowadays, even here in Hong Kong, we have uh, very good examples uh, in central places like you know in in the central business district here of Hong Kong, we have Sally's Toy, for example. That um, that's a pretty boutique kind of feel when you enter inside and and when you walk around, uh, the toys are presented in a sort of very wellness, very boutique kind of approach. Uh, a lot of places globally have have evolved uh, in order to attract more uh, mainstream audiences, in you know, order to make sure then that people don't get afraid of entering a sex shop. Like so sex Summers have-
0: in the UK. I think I remember there was a pick and mix sort of, or maybe, no, they sold, um, penis looking like pastas or some, it was just fun. You know, <laughs> they had a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, it didn't feel like just a sex shop. Yeah. You know, you can buy pasta there, for example, or <laughs> sweets. Yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway, Sorry. Yeah. No, no worries. uh, That's a good example of how retailers are trying their best to appeal to broad audiences and uh, sort of destigmatize that view that a lot of people have of the sex shop. But apart from that, it's not just that the sex shops have improved their sort of uh, mainstream appeal. We also have the online movement. There's a lot of players, such as uh, in Australia, we have Love Honey, for example. In other places globally, uh, we, we have many other online retailers who have made a big effort in bringing this uh, pleasure wellness conversation online and selling products online. And apart from that, uh, mainstream shops, mainstream pharmacies uh, and chains, um, not just in, in Europe and in the U.S., but also here in Asia, they're increasingly realizing of the huge uh, market potential of these products and the added value that in a post-COVID world they can they can bring to to humans and to to people who also buy perhaps medicines or who also buy perhaps many other things that they sell in their stores. So um, so we're seeing an increasing amount of uh, pharmacies and uh, sort of health-related um, shops, whether online or offline, that are increasingly assorted sex uh, toys as well uh, and that in if we put that together with how the packaging of, of sex toys nowadays really look like uh, a wellness or a tech product it makes it a, a very good fit for these for these new stores
0: mm. that's interesting you you brought up the design of these sex toys it's quite futuristic and um a lot of the times my impression is it's sort of Steps away from it being sexual, maybe a shape of a pebble, or maybe it looks kind of futuristic, and it's the shapes are quite abstract. Does that, in a way, um, how does that link to human? You know, we're very visual creatures. I suppose my question is, does that take away from you feeling sexual if you look at that object? I don't know. Does that does that make sense? It doesn't look a, like a particularly sexual object. You know, like a rounded kind of. Right. You know, how am I supposed to feel turned on looking at a blob? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know.
3: I guess it depends well, on how you use it. Uh, <laughs> uh, my personal take on that one, and what uh, what I think the technology aspect of it uh, is trying to do, is really focusing on the function. I think that before, uh, in the origins of, of the sex toy uh, sort of world, there was a huge focus on on the on the shape, on the looks of, of the toy. Uh, but I think that increasingly, it's more about the technology and what the actual capabilities, from a technology point of view, the toy can. Uh, you know, achieve. We're talking, for example, one of our brands, Womanizer. Uh, thousands of women globally have reported that they can experience an intense August in 30 seconds. So we're talking about uh, a kind of technology that is able to provide a lot of value to your body. It's not necessarily about the shape or how it looks. We want it to look discreet. We want it to look mainstream. We want every woman to make sure that she's uh, comfortable owning a womanizer in her bedroom uh, or even in her bag or even uh, anywhere where she would actually put any lifestyle accessory. So I I think think that's Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Briani?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think that comes down to the idea that toys don't necessarily have to replicate a human body part. In fact, they're an enhancement to the experience. And so... So much of the shame and the stigma around toys and the difficulty in having conversations, especially in heterosexual relationships, is I'm introducing this thing and, oh, no, it looks like it's going to replace me or my human part. Right. Um, and that can be really intimidating. So taking it, taking that away and making this look like a beautiful piece that, you know, could sit on a coffee table, an art piece, a, sc- a sculpture piece um, kind of strips away that, that idea that this is a replacement. In fact, it's an enhancement. It's, you know, it's like a fashion item and it's accessory. It's something designed to, to yeah, as Ruben was saying, function with all the amazing things that your body does while also, you know, inviting someone else in, if that's the case, to experience or have sex um, together. Absolutely. Mm. I've
0: seen one that sort of, you know, you can wear it as a necklace. The little this bullets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's quite elegant.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they they do. Yeah. The designs really have changed. Um, and I mean, obviously, like in any product or service, you need to do your research, you know, you need to invest to to make products that people actually want. So Brian, from an entrepreneur's point of view, what are the biggest hurdles that entrepreneurs come up against when they're trying to develop products and services in sex tech?
2: I just missed the first part of that question.
1: Oh, from from an entrepreneur's point of view, what are some of the challenges and hurdles that um, they come up against when they're trying to to develop new products and get investors interested?
2: Mm, Yeah, well, there's a lot of challenges that aren't um, something you typically face in, you know, we call it ed tech or health tech or fintech um, because back to that idea that sex is still really difficult to talk about even in 2020. And so there's numerous challenges. The first one, a big one being money, right? So how to access investment and also how to even open a bank account um, when you have sex in your business title, or you could be conceived as being an adult product. Um, And there's all sorts of laws and regulations around that from morality clauses with VCs to different um, regulations Determining, you know, which which bank you you can go with. Um, once you've got the money, or you've decided to fund yourself, maybe you've gone a friends and family route if you have that available to you. Other entrepreneurs will go the crowdfunding route, which is great because you can prove that you know your idea's got some legs and you've got customers already. But even then. Um, it's very difficult, not to dissuade anyone, but it's difficult in terms of finding manufacturers to work with that are comfortable, again, with this stigmatized industry. Um, you're going to face challenges with government as well. If you're applying for government loans, small business loans, that sort of thing are often aren't available to you. And then the big one. If you've come all this way is of course censorship which we're all familiar with in terms of you know instagram and free the nipple right but on a broader level when you've got a business where you're trying to reach your consumers that all live online that want these products still we want them to be discreet we want this you know idea that we can shop in the privacy of our own homes it's actually hard to even place an ad to reach your consumers so that's a real hurdle and a lot of entrepreneurs you know, have to almost hack their way around because then, you know, their products are seen as obscene, even if they look like this beautiful blob Um, that could be in a museum, they're they're, they're not able to advertise. And so, you know, growing the community, um, working with an email provider and growing your email list, these are some of the things that are really important when you're faced with these challenges, almost like... At every step of the process, which a normal small business or entrepreneur would be just ticking boxes, you're like, oh, now we're we're up to this one. So it's a constant challenge and I think why so many people that work in this industry are so passionate, that have to have that passion to get them through and to stay in it because – It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's
0: go uh, for the 2.30 news and we'll return to this really interesting uh, discussion
1: uh, with Bryony and also Ruben and Karen this afternoon. Three o'clock. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this afternoon with me, Karen Koh, and Noreen Mir on the 123 Show. And today we are talking about sex tech. We're finding all about this uh, industry with two guests, Brian E. Cole, who is the founder of Future of Sex podcast and creator of Sex Tech School, which is a six-week program for entrepreneurs, joining us from New York, and Ruben Rodriguez, who's the regional PR manager of Asia Pacific for WowTech, which is a German-Canadian company which makes sex toys. So before the break, we were talking about entrepreneurs in this industry and how difficult it is for them. Bryony, at the same time, this is a valuable industry, isn't it? I mean, it's it's worth a lot and it's going to be worth a lot.
2: Yeah, that's the tricky thing is we see these huge numbers around the valuation of the industry. You know, for a while there, it was like sex techs, a $30 billion industry. Now we see projections around more, I think, moving into how Ruben described as like a pleasure and wellness industry is generally more acceptable and, and sort of this broadband, the sexual wellness industry in the next six years um, is, is I think topping around 123 So huge numbers, a lot of money there. It's a very profitable industry. We all want to have better sex, more efficient sex, more, you know, pleasure in our lives. So there's money there. It's just working through the stigma and finding these new ways, which companies like WowTech are, to to communicate to people in a way that that sort of fits much more into this wellness lifestyle and sexuality being adjacent to beauty industry much more now than it was associated with something that was like creepy or those, we talk about those horrible sort of shop, the the shopping experience was kind of weird or seen as shameful when when you put it next to beauty or make the products look beautiful like something that was in, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop lab or whatever then that's where you can see, okay, now it's accessible and now let it rain money because that's that's where we're starting to see these really exciting valuations on the industry.
0: Yeah, make it double up as a facial
1: cleanser and you know, just... <laughs> mood south a little bit you know yeah, it looks and, a bit like so, that and totally
2: Dis- why not yeah,
1: and display it in the cosmetic se- se- uh, section or you know the the beauty section as opposed to the in the Sephora, condom section. exactly right.
2: well let's bring i, I and- genuinely think that that's the future i i no joke i a hundred percent see vibrators in Sephora yeah. in like the next two years for
0: sure. Yeah, I, I they're not already there.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> or maybe people, oh, it's a facial cleanser. but you know. um, <laughs> um, Yeah, <laughs> I, I
2: think it's totally... Uh, Similar yeah. technology. I think that's reality. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ultrasonic.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Ruben, um, you know, you, you are the PR manager uh, for, for, for WowTech. So let's talk about the hurdles or the challenges that you've had. I mean, from my understanding, can you, you know, have ads on social media? for sex toys talk us through that
3: right so exactly just as uh brian was saying just now um, obviously Wildtech is is already a bit bigger than some of the uh, entrepreneurs that are starting now to 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 explore uh, the world of sex tech right and and uh, even for a bigger company like ours it really is not easy to find ways to reach your consumers. In fact, I think that the companies that lead the industry are constantly reinventing the wheel as to like, what is really possible and pushing the boundaries as much as possible um by by trying to conform to the rules of social media platforms like facebook where uh pleasure is already forbidden in facebook advertising rules any conversation that uh advertises or promotes pleasure is uh forbidden to, to advertise on facebook for example really? so this is one one thing that um yeah yeah that's uh
1: that's,
0: I can vouch for yeah. that because I tried to do a lot of, you know, search in my Google, you know, sex
3: toys, this, yeah. this and it you didn't can't... come up as ads. So you're not allowed to use the word
1: pleasure, really?
3: Uh, yeah, you're allowed to use the word pleasure in content. You can, you have freedom of expression to use it. But the, mo- the moment that you want to put money behind the post, you want to advertise right. a post, promote a post or uh, any kind of content, uh, Usually those uh, posts are reviewed by people at Facebook and uh, they get uh, rejected because they violate the rules and regulations of, of Facebook. So um, so yeah, ad rejection is one of the big topics and one of the easiest one to talk about, but uh, there's, there's other restrictions. And in fact, uh, in countries like Australia, for example, which we were talking about just now, there are even like uh, political parties that that, that help uh, bring all these issues into parliament. Uh, for example, there's the reason party which used to be called the sex party. And there's uh, in, in the Victorian legislative council there's someone called Victor, uh, Fiona Patton who usually is, is a big advocate of the sexual industry and she usually talks to all the players in the industry to understand, you know, what what are some of the issues and, and difficulties that you currently have and how we can uh, overcome them, you know, as a country from a legislative point of view. Uh, obviously, this is possible in a country that's English-speaking like Australia, for example. In places like Hong Kong, the uh and like other countries as well uh the conversation is a bit more difficult to have uh it's not seen immediately as as relevant so the legislative framework takes a little bit i think longer to be modified or changed. uh and uh, we don't see a lot of uh, movement in that in that space uh to be honest there's also a bit of a language uh difference uh when it comes to education and awareness uh, obviously, there's a lot of information in English out there about uh, sex tech, which is a relatively new topic, but a lot of people are interested in it and publish content about it. So it's accessible information. But we don't see that much in Japanese, in Chinese, in Korean, for example. So Not it's even something... in Japanese.
0: I, uh, for some reason, I thought Japanese was sort of more liberal in terms of... Um... You know, overtly, oh, yeah. Display, yeah, but maybe it's... Well,
3: well, our observation of the Japanese market is, is definitely very used to, um, to, to sex toys overall to, to that, uh, sort of consumer aspect of it. But there's not that much content around pleasure wellness that is, uh, being able to be discussed due to the huge taboo that this topic. Uh, and especially female pleasure still has in the in society in, in Japan. Yeah. So um, although it is possible to sell uh, toys in certain ways, people still don't talk about pleasure wellness and what pleasure meals to them and what technology can do. Uh, for your body in terms of pleasure. So it's a topic that's not really on the table in many Asian countries. And uh, the moment that you open that conversation, you're quite surprised to see a lot of interesting reactions from the public, many of them actually really positive.
0: Yeah. Are there any sort of countries or any places in the world where it is sort of a pioneer? Um, I don't know. Amsterdam comes to mind. Are there sort of places where it's really acceptable and, you know, there's sex toy stores everywhere and, and, you know, more relaxed uh, regulations in terms of advertising?
3: Well, from my experience um from the Baltic experience uh we are very strong in the northern european countries where we have pretty much no issue at all reaching out to the media um and it's it's a they're usually very liberal uh mindsets uh around uh, northern european countries and it is quite possible to to talk about pleasure wellness in a very open way uh it, i would say uh, a country like Australia, here in Asia as well, it's quite open. There's a lot of people, a lot of uh, very interesting sexologists and people that create content around pleasure wellness. Who It's like a bit of a new movement. It's a, a bit of a new group of people online that uh, create super cool content around this topic. And it's a, a beautiful thing to, to watch and observe. Um, in other, yeah, I guess that uh, in the US as well, uh, there's a, a lot going on in this respect as well. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely countries where where it's easier to to talk about about these sort of topics than others. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. By using phrases like pleasure, wellness, does it sort of also take away from sex? You know, why are we still not comfortable to use the words sex? I, 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 this is just a genuine um, <laughs> sure. thing. You know, I feel like we're we're just it's like the white elephant. We still can't talk about <laughs> sex. You know? Oh, but you, do you know what what I mean? Does that? Yeah,
3: no, Ruben... I, I think uh, for for us in definitely water, we're not afraid of the word sex toy, and we're actually quite quite proud of it. But uh, we try to use for the general as yeah. much as possible because it helps a lot open up the minds of the people. Suddenly, um, you know, like you. Sex. Obviously, when we look at at the broader topic of of sex, it can be many things. You can have sex with a partner, which is what most a lot of people interpret. uh, Whether or not they're knowledgeable about this topic, you can have sex with yourself as well. You can you can when you have sex with yourself, you usually focus mostly on pleasure, right? How to pleasure your body. So when you start looking at at uh, uh, sex uh, as as a way of achieving pleasure for yourself, then. Uh, you start looking into that wellness element, right, that, uh, that brings to your life something like yoga, for example. You may do yoga because it enhances your flexibility because it helps your mindset, because because it, it makes you feel more relaxed. Well, then um, a sex toy, it can be a tool to achieve a better uh, quality of pleasure wellness. So that's the reason why we try to use that That word a bit more, um, but we are definitely not a, not ashamed <laughs> of the sex toy industry where I think are uh, pretty... Uh, proud, uh, you know, player in in the industry uh, with tons of interesting technology.
1: So, yeah. Brian, it sounds like we need more leadership voices to uh, make everyone more comfortable about talking about sex, for one, and then about the, the, you know, the associated uh, industries like sex tech.
2: Yeah, we definitely need more voices talking about it. I think that helps normalize the conversation, even, you know, your podcast is like, Where can people go? We don't want people just landing on Google and random, you know, sources because then you sort of fall down the rabbit hole of the internet and end up with some crazy information. So I think the more that we have these authority figures, leaders in the space that we're able to point to and say, hey, there's great source of information i think that's really important a for getting good info but b for giving people permission to talk about it you know i find with my podcast in future of sex as soon as i tell people i've got this podcast and this is what i'm working on and and in a normal way um it's very disarming you know the more vulnerable i guess you can be and that immediately people feel like they have permission then to talk about it in a normal way and i think that's like a takeaway for anyone that wants to talk about sex is just to sort of start those conversations with a friend or a partner um and see that by you starting you you give the other person permission to talk about it too and let that ripple across society and you know we'll all be normalized around this conversation be talking about as much as we talk about coffee
1: and what we have for breakfast right one of the things that we've discovered you know over the years with the gender cafe is also um it traditionally it's been much harder for for women to own their sexuality to say i enjoy sex i like pleasure they've always there's a double standard you know there's a double standard of you know you're supposed to be um, you know, almost virginal and not enjoy sex yet not be knowledgeable about it. I mean, do you, do you find that as well in, in, in both? Oh yeah. Female
2: pleasure. Female pleasure is like the last bastion, you know, it's considered terribly dangerous. You know? Frightening, right? Experiencing pleasure means the whole world's out of control and we're all going to lose control of our property and our taxes and business, you know? So I think it is slowly changing and you know, we, the most significant changes I often see are reflected in screens, whether that's on social media or on like the media that we're watching, streaming shows. And, you know, we can go back to prior to Instagram. We all kind of remember Sex in the City and how that changed the way women talked about sex and pleasure, but still in the same breath the way that pleasure was talked about was hilarious you know which is great it's a very disarming way to talk about female pleasure but now fast forward to today we're out of the 90s and we're talking about pleasure adjacent to wellness and we're talking about it as something that's empowering and I think that's really changed through this transition of, you know, if we think about social media and movements like Me Too and Times Up that really galvanized women to be able to talk about sexuality, whether that was protecting themselves or that was experiencing pleasure. And so we're we're slowly seeing that change, you know, women's female pleasure is is not as dangerous, but I still think we've got a long way to go. But um, I don't know where I was going with that other than, you know, we're, tra- we're tracking that timeline and hopefully looking to the shows that we have, as the shows I see in Australia and the US where I'm based. Today, are really sort of affirming of the fact that we're showing different body types, different sexual orientations and preferences and different expressions of sexual pleasure that don't just rely on hilarity.
1: Mm, yeah. And so, Bryony, one of the other things that you do is you run what's called sex tech hackathons. Can can you tell us what they are, how they work and, and what's the idea behind them?
2: Yeah, sex tech hackathons are really to encourage more innovation in this industry and encourage people that may not know how to get involved in sex tech to just take that first step. And so the hackathons run over traditionally a weekend. They sort of this 48 to 72 hour program where you'll come in often by yourself, but with a bunch of strangers and form teams with these strangers and work on problems in society around sex tech. So we may say, how do we improve sex education for teenage boys or how do we provide more sexual expression for people with disabilities or how do we. How do we provide sexual health to remote populations? And then you would, you know, form a team and work on these issues through, you know, using technology and you might just have branding skills. Maybe you're a therapist, maybe you're just a student, and develop these projects over a weekend. And it's a really fun, fast way to sort of get to a prototype and just start thinking about ideas and making something. I think that's the biggest barrier, other than this obvious stigma to getting going as an entrepreneur in this industry is actually just putting something out there and making something. So hackathons are a way of, of getting access to that. And also at an industry level, it's sort of like providing some momentum for new voices, for some diverse voices to come through that typically don't have access to capital or, or you know, the, a
1: traditional way up the ladder. Mm. And do, do some of these entrepreneurs actually get something to market, whether it's a service or, or a product?
2: you know we've had various levels of success to be honest i think going through a weekend is a is a big ass to get something to market but we've had you know really interesting concepts come to life we had a remote control vibrator for women um vulva owners that were in wheelchairs which was super interesting a hands-free one and now we look you know Three years later, three years later, yeah, from that hackathon, we have a company called Handy that weren't part of the hackathon, but are Australian Canadian company that are designing just that sex toys for people with mobility issues. Um, we've had agencies for sex tech companies built, realizing the problems around censorship and how do we do, how do we do that? Like how do we hack that system? So the prototypes, I think, you know, there's not no huge success story yet, but what they are is they sort of point to these insights of, like, what's missing in the industry, what can happen, and and from that, you know, after three years of doing the hackathons, launching this school, which was a much more cool. comprehensive education, to do not just a weekend, but you're in it for six weeks, and then that's sort of giving you more of the the tools and the tool set to be able to go, oh, here's how I build the brand here's the mechanics of the business model and moving it from like an idea on a whiteboard or a PowerPoint to something that is actually ready to launch. Mm, that's
1: amazing. I that's
3: think, so uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, no, I think it's a truly, it's, it's a truly amazing story. Why, what is being done with the sex hackathons? I think, uh, it also helps, uh, Put in perspective the fact that this is a research and development industry, just like any other out there. When you look at, when you look at, um, you know, companies like like Facebook or like Google or like any other technology business out there, it started from scratch, sometimes in the back of your garage. And and I think that these hackathons do a lot to kind of put the spotlight on innovators that have an interest in pleasure uh, or in the sex uh, toy or in the sex service or whatever. Um, related, uh, you know, industry and, uh, and they decide to innovate and have creative ideas in order to solve human problems. So I think it, it, these kind of events and, and uh, sort of environments for people to create uh, new things do a lot to improve definitely the quality of the of the industry and added a different dimension that everyone's familiar with um that conversation about access to capital innovators entrepreneurs that is a story that that i think is more incipient but that the sex toy industry and the 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 wellness industry overall is is also leaving at
1: the moment. I mean, it's true. When you think about, for example, even like WowTech, you, you have to employ people who are engineers, who are designers, who are good at robotics. Very yeah. um, <laughs> Yes, exactly, on, on the design side. And then in, in terms of research, you also do a lot of global research about your customer base and, and potential customer base, right?
3: Absolutely. There's a lack of um, global research uh, when it comes to pleasure and, and sex. And it's a topic that in uh, while there are uh, some bodies that, that, that do actually do research on these things, it is largely comparatively ignored or, or like not very, there's not a lot of attention that goes into this industry from an overall perspective. So we try as a company to, to uh, gather our own insights uh, when it comes to, uh, research, market research, consumer research, et cetera. And uh, apart from that, we also create interesting initiatives. For example, very recently, we, we started to run the, uh, the masturbation initiative with, uh, with the Womanizer brand, where we're trying to show that uh, masturbation can help with period pain in female bodies. So uh, that is perhaps a health angle that not a lot of people can think about it um, in, a, in a first instance, but when you start reading about the topic, there have been some initial research out there that do point to that fact, but nobody has gone and explored uh, this topic really in depth yet. So we're trying our best to put the spotlight with these initiatives there. And um, uh, we're running a bit of a small study with a thousand people globally from every country that we're presenting in order to uh, really understand whether or not we can find some evidence on that. So, yeah, so I think there's, there's definitely a lot of room for for growth, for investment, for finding out uh, new things and insights and data about our bodies and our pleasure that we currently sort of somehow there's no uh, corporate or global or, or scholar interest in exploring yet. Mm. Um, Ruben,
1: I know that you guys recently did some research on masturbation um, in mm. Asia. Can you share some of the interesting data points from that?
3: Sure. I have it here. Just, uh, I have a bit of a. Uh, uh, a sheet with all the different data that we found out. So the initiative was called the Equal Masturbation Day. So this is again for the, for the womanizer brand, which is a brand that talks a lot about female empowerment and, uh, has uh, females at the center of the conversation. Absolutely. So, um, for womanizer in this campaign, we wanted to do something similar to the equal pay, uh, or pay gap uh, calculation that uh, shows that there is a difference in terms of Payment when it comes to males and females globally. So the payment gap is different in, in every country and it's a sign of, uh, uh, you know, uh, how uh, well-perceived or well-rewarded females in every single country. So in Asia, we have found uh, very interesting data, the masturbation gap, um, which is what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, whether uh, there is a difference in the masturbation habits between females and males. It is actually quite high in some of the Asian countries. Uh, The highest one uh, that we have found through our own research in (coughs) Asia-Pacific, sorry, is in in Singapore, uh, where we see a 79% masturbation gap. So it means that uh, females uh, masturbate uh, 79, sorry, men masturbate 79% more than females. We're looking at an average of uh, 136 times for men and only 54, sorry, 28 times only for females. So that's an interesting point, point of data. When you look at the actual reasons, uh, they're very different, but some of the reasons why some women have pointed out they masturbate a bit less is because uh, there's less uh, awareness of uh, sexual education, less awareness of pleasure, less um, sometimes interest um, in in exploring this side. They haven't heard that much about the wellness aspect of um, of sex in or, or masturbation. Uh, so uh, in Hong Kong, we see very different um, Reasons why the masturbation gap may exist is not actually as big as in Singapore, but uh, women report that uh, they live in smaller spaces, there's less access to privacy, less time. Females in, in Hong Kong are, are very busy. They have very busy jobs. We know that our city is a fast-paced city, so not everyone can find the right time or moment for, for pleasure. So, yeah, we can see that there's definitely a lot of different insights that we've been gathering the point of different reasons why um, females uh, come uh,
1: masturbate uh, less than men. Mm. Wow, interesting yeah. data, right? Very interesting yeah. data. Um, um, yeah. Sorry. No, ahead. so Brian, I just wanted to throw it back to you. Just in our current context, living in the COVID-adjusted uh, <laughs> world, you know, it's had a lot of impact on relationships. Um, on, you know sexuality for people what are some of the challenges that sex tech could help address in in what is kind of the new normal
2: in sorry we missed the first part there during COVID
1: yeah yeah so the so during this COVID impacted world you know it's had a lot of impact on relationships um, on sexuality what what are some of the challenges that sex tech can help address
3: oh yes
2: well yeah I mean everything to do with intimacy i think has been we've realized first of all that intimacy is essential as food as water to nourish our lives and to be human and so i think that's great i think yeah we're seeing sure a lot of people are enjoying orgasms more they're masturbating more you see that reflected in the sex toy sales very early on um, which is exciting to think people are discovering their bodies more they're having a chance to stop and reflect and relax and explore that um, i think we've got beyond that now as you said we're in this new normal where people are now um going okay well this is this is sort of the the new rhythm of life and how do i connect with a potential partner or my partner at home and so how can technology assist with that now that might not be a sex toy it can be and that's fun and that's a way to um you know love honey did this great survey in the u.s with um came back that 54 percent of american couples are now being more adventurous in the bedroom so yes people are going okay well what else can we do um but i think also in terms of Connection and dating. Obviously, video is now the new normal. So people are becoming a bit more dexterous in how do we flirt online, how do we date online. Whether they love it or hate it, we sort of have have s- developed these new skills, especially younger kids, in how to be intimate together online and then there's just interesting um sort of upgrades in terms of information and education so we're seeing this sort of explosion of apps that are focused around sex education sexuality consciousness um listening to audio erotica in this space that are actually well funded that are often driven by women and they're providing an alternative outlet if you want to upgrade your knowledge you no longer can like go to a workshop and or a live event or you know go into a sex toy store so how do you find that and um it's often an app on your phone which I think is really exciting it means we're having more interesting sex but we're also keen to learn more about it you know it's not just about the physical sense but it's about well how do I upgrade my emotional intelligence around sex and my intellectual you know curiosity around what's possible with my sexuality which they're all good signs, and then the numbers obviously point to very good signs of business too. So hopefully now we've normalised masturbation and, and people are excited to sort of see what else is there beyond just hee, it's a sex toy,
1: you know? So maybe the pandemic will be the best thing for the sex tech industry and sexuality.
2: I mean, I think it's one of the few industries that's gonna come out better than when we went in, to be honest. is you know,
3: definitely happening in, in our data this, this year. We have seen, and also even communicated with the media, the huge success that, that COVID um, has, has actually brought us. Uh, we, actually, what COVID means for human beings is that there is more distance, there is less physical contact, and, uh, our bodies, uh, obviously they still, uh, demand, they have pleasure needs as well. A lot of bodies out there. So, um. So obviously there's a a more demand and need for for sex toys and for technology to help out, to help out in these difficult times where it's harder to be close to other people. So our sales have definitely uh, increased. For I think that for for the industry as an overall, uh, we we were all a bit kind of scared of what this would mean at the very beginning of the year. We weren't really sure, oh, but people are not going outdoors. So how are they gonna buy our toys? Well, our online sales have just uh, basically gone up the roof. They've they've increased uh, a lot for all the players in the industry, I think. It's a very interesting moment uh, for 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 online and, and for uh, new technologies when it comes to sex tech. I think that uh, also an interesting thing that's happening is that um, apart from uh, we, we've talked about about female pleasure and about uh, how important uh, sex toys and, and pleasure wellness is being for for that conversation. We talked as well about shared connections, about couples accessing technology together, and even overcoming distance and things like that through through uh, technology. Another thing that is increasingly happening as well is male pleasure It's also uh, a conversation that I think will have its peak moment in the next few years when uh, men will sort of discover, and we are developing even in Wildtech and also all the companies out there, new pieces of technology, new uh, technological breakthroughs that, uh, you know, help stimulate the, the male body in ways that perhaps men have never experienced before. And um, that would be also a bit of a realization moment for, for many men out there, that there is more to the pleasure conversation than, uh, than well, than simple connotations or, or simple um, affirmations about masturbation, etc. Oh, yeah, well, so it, it should be a very interesting... Um,